May I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, that's going to be page 1131, 1131 if you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you. Matthew chapter 16. Lord, as we turn our attention to your word now, I pray that you'd speak in a clear, marvelous, wonderful way. Lord, I pray that a morning like this would not just pass by as something that's trivial, something that's religious, something that we got done, but I pray that we would understand the amazing miracle of what we celebrate. I pray your blessing upon each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Those events that transpired on Good Friday took the disciples of Jesus completely by surprise. Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Jesus was arrested. He was handed over to the religious leaders of Israel. He went through a mock trial. They condemned him. They handed him over to the Gentiles, the Romans. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was crucified. He died. His body was taken down from the cross. And he was placed in a tomb. And it was sealed by a stone. The disciples were not expecting that. It absolutely crushed them, shocked them. And then three days later on Sunday morning, the tomb of Jesus is empty. The body of Jesus is not there. That also shocked his disciples. They did not see that coming. They were confused. In fact, the Gospels tell us that the angels were there and they spoke to the women who were there early and they said, Jesus is not here, he's risen, go tell the disciples. And they went and they told the disciples. And what did the disciples say? You're nuts. Those godly men, right? They didn't believe it. All those circumstances took them completely by surprise. And I got to tell you, I think it's really strange that all those things took them by surprise. You know why? Because Jesus told them that all of that was going to happen before it actually happened. In fact, here we are in Matthew 16. Look at verse 21. It says, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be what? Raised the third day. Now, this is Matthew chapter 16. This is in the final year of Christ's public ministry. This is about six months before the events of Passion Week. 
And Jesus told his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised the third day. In verse 21, it says he began to show. That word show means to explain. Mark's gospel account tells us that he spoke that word openly, freely, told them. And that wasn't the only time that Jesus made that promise. In Matthew chapter 17, he made the promise. It says there, now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, now these is red letters, quote from Jesus, his words to his disciples. Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him and the third day he will be raised up. And it says, they were exceedingly sorrowful. So they heard it. They processed it. It says they were sorrowful. He makes the same prediction in Matthew chapter 20. And this time it becomes even more specific. Listen to this. Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples and said on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Can you be any clearer? Listen to what we read in Matthew 26. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Two days before he was crucified, he essentially told his disciples, in two days, I'll be crucified. Jesus told them, promised in advance. These things are going to happen to me, and on the third day, I'm going to arise. And there were even many other times in the public ministry of Jesus where he alluded to the fact that the whole purpose for his coming was the crucifixion. Mark 10, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, a ransom for many. He told his disciples that. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The whole purpose of his mission was to do that. The whole purpose of coming to planet Earth told the disciples, and guess what happened? Well, it happened just as he said it would. He was arrested. He was betrayed. He was delivered into the hands of the Romans. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was crucified. His body was laid in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose again. It happened just as Jesus said it would because when Jesus promises, you can count on it.
So, why were the disciples so surprised? Why were they shaken by it? Well, the answer is simple. They didn't believe the promises when Jesus made them. They flat out did not believe what Jesus was promising. Well, why did they fail to believe those promises? Well, I think we get some clues here from our passage. I want you to notice how Peter reacts to the first prediction. Again, look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. You know, Peter's going to have a huge blooper reel in heaven. There are a lot of crazy, silly things that he did, but this is going to be at the top of the list. This is a very bad moment for Peter. It says he took him aside. That Greek word has some physicality to it. He grabbed Jesus, put his arm around him, took him aside away from, Jesus, step into my office. He rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine? He corrected Jesus. Quit speaking like that, Jesus. That's crazy speak. None of that's going to happen to you. Far, far be it from you. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm your bodyguard. Remember, you gave me the name Rocky, right? (laughs) I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Now, think about this for just a moment. Peter, the number one apostle, is trying to get in the way of what Jesus left heaven and came to earth to do. He's mixed up. So, how does Jesus respond to Peter's terrible act? Verse 23, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, that's a really bad thing when Jesus calls you Satan. I'll bet Peter looked back on that day for the rest of his life and thought, what a terrible moment. Understand that Peter did not become Satan. Peter was not possessed by Satan. Peter was not demon-possessed. Peter was acting under the cloud of satanic influence. He was speaking as Satan would speak. He was talking as Satan might talk. He was behaving as Satan would want him to behave. And Jesus basically said to Peter, you are deceived by Satan. Be quiet. 
You're an offense to me. And notice what else Jesus said to Peter. This is very important. He said, Peter, you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Peter, you can't see anything. You can't see the things of God because you're all zeroed in. You're all focused in. You're mindful on the things of men. Your eyes are on the kingdom of men. And I would suggest to you this morning that that is why Peter and the rest of the disciples, for that matter, failed to believe those promises and were so shaken when it took place. Two things. They were deceived by Satan. And number two, they were mindful of the things of men. And that will always make you blind to spiritual truth. I mean, we know the disciples, they believed that Jesus was going to be their political Messiah. They were expecting Jesus to come riding into Jerusalem, take out the Roman Empire, set up the glorious kingdom age of Israel like it was in the days of King Solomon. He was going to literally rule the world. They were going to ride his coattails to a brand new kingdom on earth. And we know that they all wanted positions in that kingdom. Peter, James, John. We even read in the scripture that at the night that Jesus was betrayed in in the upper room, they were fighting over who would be the greatest in the kingdom. I'm going to be vice president. I'm going to be secretary of state. Utterly focus on me. And in their mindset, there was absolutely zero place for a suffering Messiah. No place for a dead Messiah. They literally could not see it. And I will suggest to you this morning that I still think, even to this day, many people miss the promises of God for those exact two reasons. They exist under a cloud of satanic deception. And they live their lives mindful only of the things of men. So here we are on this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection. Jesus has done all that. Jesus has risen again. And yet how many people will not believe it? Because they exist under that cloud of satanic deception or they're completely focused on the things of men. In fact, I think that's what keeps everyone from the greatest promises that have ever been made. You know, Jesus made some amazing promises in his public ministry. A promise from Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. 
Jesus is the one who spoke these words in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Jesus said I've come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus promised to save people. To save people. And he paid that price on the cross for our sins. And rose again. That if we put our faith and trust in him. He'll save you. He promises. Now the mindset. Or the mindful of men mentality. And the satanic deception will keep you from that. Because this world and Satan, of course, says, you don't need a savior. And you're not a sinner. Don't worry about it. Or Satan loves to put out different ways that, you know, might make people think that they can get saved by different ways. Satan will propagate that lie that, you know, again, like the world teaches don't worry about it don't worry about God or Satan will also put out other different options you know Satan is a big fan of religion Satan's one of the biggest fans of religion because he'll put out that falsehood that all if you want to get saved just become religious join a religion or start doing better with your life Another lie that Satan loves to put out there and that a lot of people buy today, all roads lead to heaven. All roads lead to heaven. You can call God by any name just as long as you're sincere. Gang, that is a lie from the pit of hell. There's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know why? Look what he did at the cross. Look at the sacrifice that he made. Jesus promised to save. I love this promise from Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And check that out. You will find rest for your souls. Do you know Jesus came to fulfill your life? To give you satisfaction? To give your soul rest? Jesus promises to fulfill your life. Jesus said in John chapter 10, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Christ promises to give you personally abundant life. Right here in this life. To find purpose, to find meaning, to find satisfaction. The things of this world Satan, they'll say, 
Let money satisfy you. Let party, party, party satisfy you. Let fame satisfy you. Go from this to that to that and find satisfaction there. Find find what you're looking for there. And how many people live their lives in mad pursuit from one thing to another? This will satisfy me. Now, I'm going to be upfront and realistic with you. A lot of things in this world are fun. A lot of sin is fun. It's pleasurable, the scripture says. But the scripture also says that sin is pleasurable for a season. It won't last. And many times it can absolutely destroy your life if you take it too far. The only way you will find rest for your soul is through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He promised. I love this promise from Jesus. He says to his disciples, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Without me you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Jesus promised to make your life fruitful. To make your life meaningful. To give you purpose. To give you a mission. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem. And in all Judea and Samaria. And to the end of the earth. In other words. Jesus promises to give your life a purpose. A plan. A mission. To change you into the man that you need to be. To change you into the woman that you need to be. He wants us to be wonderful witnesses of him. He wants your marriage to be fruitful. A role model for everyone else. Your family. The way you conduct yourself in business. He promises, I'll make you fruitful. I'll use your life. Now, the world and Satan will say, don't worry about serving the Lord or serving other people. Serve yourself. Live for yourself. Don't buy it. Now, Jesus also made this promise. I, I, I need to share it with you. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I'm, I'm, I'm taking you through some promises this morning, but I also don't want to give anyone here the idea that when you give your life to Jesus Christ, life becomes a bed of roses. You know, it's like you give your life to Jesus and that guarantees you a wonderful life with no issues, no problems. No, Jesus promised in this world you will have tribulation. We all, this side of heaven, live in a fallen world. And Christian and non-Christian, we deal with the things that are difficult in a fallen world. And I will also tell you this. If you become a Christian and want to get very serious about serving the Lord, you'll become a target. 
and you will be persecuted. But Jesus also promises his peace. And notice what Jesus also promises at the end of the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, even till when? The end of the age. Jesus promised never to leave you. Ever. Never to forsake you. He said, I promise I'll save you. I'll satisfy you. I'll make your life fruitful. I'll use you. And I'll be with you in all the tribulations of life. Think of it. Now, again, the world and Satan would say, hey, rely on your money. Rely on all your resources. Rely on, rely on your friends. You know, even friends will abandon you. But Jesus Christ will never abandon you. What a wonderful promise. Now look at this promise. Jesus promises, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promises his people heaven. Jesus promised, I'm preparing a place for you. My father's house has many mansions. And I'm preparing one for you. Now think about, this is speaking about, that, this word prepare, carefully crafting a place for you in heaven. What do you think your place is going to look like in heaven? You know, I find it interesting. We've been studying Colossians on Sunday mornings. And we found out in Colossians, all creation was made through Jesus. Jesus made all things. Imagine what he's preparing for you in heaven. I've also always thought it was wonderful that of all the professions that Jesus could have chose to occupy in his life here, what did he choose to be for most of his life? A carpenter. Think of what he's preparing for you. And I believe it'll be custom built. Just for you, knowing who you are and all your personality. You know, when I was in college, I served as a college uh, minister over at Calvary Baptist Church in Las Cruces. And they gave me free room and board as I did it. I lived on this little house on the corner right next to the church. And I had a key to the house, obviously. And they also gave me a key to the sanctuary, which... uh, It's not always the greatest thing having a key to the church because everybody wants to come and borrow the key. But I'll tell you what, that key would give me access to the sanctuary. And in that sanctuary, there was a grand piano and keyboards and a drum set 
and guitars and all these different. And there were times where I would, I would go into that sanctuary in the middle of the night and lose myself in music. Just learn. Just, I had my own music room. And I've always wondered, I wonder if in heaven I'm going to have my own music room. What is God preparing for you? I promise you. It will blow your mind. In fact, the scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can comprehend what he is preparing for the ones who love him. He promised. He also promised that he's coming again. Jesus one day is coming again to receive us unto himself. Here's a promise. We'll be with him forever. In John chapter 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has promised us a resurrection. And he proved that he can raise us from the dead because he, in fact, himself was raised from the dead. So you talk about a glorious future. Jesus has promised heaven. Jesus has promised he's coming for us. If we die here, we'll be raised to new life. The scripture also teaches that we'll be given brand new bodies. Glorified bodies. The scripture teaches that we'll be reunited with loved ones who have gone before. Jesus promised all these things. I ask you, are they yours? Do you believe them? So the world and Satan will say there's no afterlife. Live for today. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. Put all your energy here. It's all about what you can get here. And how many, many people spend their whole life chasing after everything that this world can offer them. And they give not one thought to the next life. How many people are deceived? Jesus also promised, and this is a tough one, he promised that if you go into the next life apart from him, if you have not been saved by him, if your sins have not been forgiven, you go to a place of judgment. Jesus spoke of hell as a literal place with graphic terms. Jesus is the one who spoke of hell more than anyone else. Vance Havner told the story about a church member who didn't like the sermons he preached about hell. And he told the preacher, preach about the meek and lowly Jesus. And his response to him was, that's where I got all my information about hell. Please listen. 
Nobody spoke more about that than Jesus. And nobody has done more to keep people out of that place. Why would Christ suffer so much? So that we could be forgiven and saved. Jesus promised. Now this world will say, hell, it's made up. The devil, he's in a little, he's a cartoon figure. Well, you can believe that or you can believe the words of Jesus. Look at this list. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus rose again. Jesus promised to save you. Jesus promised to satisfy your life. Jesus promised to give you purpose. Jesus did not promise an easy life. Jesus did promise to be with you always. Jesus promised heaven, resurrection, that he will come again. And he promised that we would be with him forever. Are those yours? Or will you live the rest of your life unaware under the cloud of satanic deception? Or will you live the rest of your life mindful only of the things of men? You know, this, this morning is a celebration for us as Christians. We're grabbing hold of these promises. Those of us who have put our, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we rejoice. Have you joined the celebration? Have you, my friend, received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Let's bow our heads. Lord, your promises are certain. We stand upon them. Lord, we've seen how strong that deception can be even to deceive an apostle like Peter at one point. And I pray, I pray that you would remove the blinders right now. You know, if you're here this morning and you have never taken hold of these promises. I want you to do so right now. These are real. These promises are real. Don't be mindful of the things of men. Be mindful of the things of God. You know, when those disciples saw Jesus risen from the dead, that's when all the lights clicked on. That's when they saw. That's when it became clear. And they would spend the rest of their life preaching Jesus crucified and raised from the dead.
I wonder if on this Resurrection Sunday, you might encounter the risen Lord for yourself. That the lights might be turned on. Have you received Christ? If not, pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, right now, I'm placing my faith and my trust in you. I take, I believe your promises. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again. Come into my life. Wash away all my sins. Make me fruitful. Give me purpose. Help me to live for you. Save me.